You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. Kete fakarongo mai kwe kitereo irirangi ko tahi. You are listening to our news here on 91 FM for our upper Wednesday, 18th of May. Ko Gemma aho. Ko Athena aho. First on the show today, we have PhD student Jai Whelan here at the University of Otago about exploring psychedelic use in Aotearoa. Also on the show, Gemma spoke with Chloe Schrawbrick about the Alcohol Harm Minimisation Bill, which has growing support from local authorities over Aotearoa. Now we have Eileen Corcoran with news and weather for today. This is the news on Radio 191 FM. Close to 150,000 court events were delayed over the last two years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. According to data released by the Ministry of Justice to Radio New Zealand, the 142,000 events postponed due to COVID-19 since March 2020 include High Court and District Court appearances, sentences, sentencings, bail hearings, family court proceedings and trials. Close to 2 million court events were scheduled during that time period. Whilst court operated as essential services throughout the pandemic, at times jury trials were suspended, whilst other proceedings were moved online. During Alert Level 4 settings in early 2020, 32% of scheduled appearances went ahead. At traffic light red and orange settings, that has risen to 92%. The Hutt Valley Hospital is facing uncertainty after reports its main block is earthquake-prone. Yesterday, the Hutt Valley DHB revealed that the Heratonga block of Hutt Hospital, containing the maternity, children's, cardiology, burns, general and orthopaedic wards, needed to be temporarily closed for repairs. The Heratonga block comprises 25% of capacity across Hutt, Wellington and Kenepuru hospitals, with 210 beds. It is not yet known when those wards will be temporarily situated whilst repairs are carried out, when those repairs will be carried out, or the flow-on effects for other hospitals in the region. The Australian Labor Party is holding, its, is holding its lead in polls over the coalition government, but the gap is narrowing ahead of the federal election on Saturday. According to The Guardian's latest two-party poll, Labor leads with 48% of incumbent, with 48% over incumbent coalition governments, 46%, 7% of voters are undecided. The Guardian reports the Australian Greens polling at 9%, while Pauline Hanson's One Nation sits at 4%, One Nation at 4%, and independent candidates at 6%. And that was the headlines on the R1 News. Now, the weather. The Radio 191 FM weather. I tēnei rā, expect a high of 17 in Ōtipoti and a low of 10, with sunny skies and northerlies developing through the afternoon. Apopo expect a high of 17 again and a low of 10, with rain for a short time in the morning and northerly winds. Now we have Now I'm Going with JQ251.
As psychedelic research is becoming less taboo in the scientific world, more studies are being based around this topic in order to broaden knowledge and education in around and around psychedelics. Otago University PhD student Jai Whelan is working on research with psychedelics, with psychedelics, which leading on from previous study with MDMA. Jai and a few others, including Ryan Ward, who is a lecturer and researcher here at the University of Otago, are assisting and leading this study in psychedelic experiences in Aotearoa. Kia ora Jai, thanks for coming in today. Kia ora, thanks for having me. So um, what was the aim of this research and is it personal account based? Uh, yes, so the, the total aims of this research is really to get a better understanding of the experiences of psychedelic users in Aotearoa. Uh, so we've only just launched the study, so we haven't actually had any participants yet. Uh, but a lot of, well, all of the research will be uh, personal experiences um, and discussion-based. So it's a purely qualitative study uh, looking to discuss a whole range of different things with groups of individuals who have used psychedelics before. Cool. And is this part of a larger project? Is there a bigger picture that you're hoping to achieve? Uh, well, this will be the first of hopefully many uh, looking at psychedelics uh, within the Aotearoa context. Uh, it is a kind of follow-up to previous work that I've done with MDMA, looking at MDMA users' experiences um, and their knowledge. Uh, so hopefully this will be kind of the, the springboard for a lot more studies to come and a lot of work for a lot more students. Awesome. So um, psychedelics are a popular uh, drug and psychology at the moment. Could you talk about the stigmas surrounding psychedelics and their safeness compared to other drugs such as like nicotine or alcohol? Sure. So uh, previously, due to a, a large number of reasons, there's been a huge amount of stigma associated with psychedelics. Um, you know, just um, on top of a lot of all. Uh, I'd say all illicit drugs in general, uh, but psychedelics in particular, we've imported a lot of our attitudes uh, and perceptions from overseas, particularly the US, uh, and that kind of started around the 1960s. Uh, the hippie movement, uh, although it had a big impact, it was one thing that was pushed back against rather heavily, and so a lot of that drug use that was quite prevalent back then got driven underground, made illicit, that kind of thing. And so a lot of our perceptions have been shaped by Just Say No campaign of the Reagan administration in the US, um, among others. And so a lot of people have kind of a lot of misconceptions about the safety of psychedelics. Uh, two relatively recent studies compared to um, you know the long history of psychedelic use um, have shown that uh, at least LSD and mushrooms have ranked uh, at the highest number three uh, in terms of harm of the most commonly used drugs in any one country. Uh, the two particular ones of interest for us are the UK and Australia, where mushrooms ranked uh, the least harmful and LSD ranked the third most harmful in Australia and together third most harmful in the UK. And now that's comparing to other drugs like alcohol, which ranked number one in Australia, uh, number one in the UK and some other drugs that people know to be um, to cause some problems or to um, exacerbate some problems, like heroin and methamphetamine, which rank rather highly as well. Um, one, one of the study's aims is to reduce the stigma around psychedelics, which you've talked a little bit about, and uh, we were wondering if you have sort of thought of any solutions for how this could be done. Like, is there anything that could be implemented in education? Uh, education being implemented full stop is something that definitely needs to happen. Um, there's some work going on in that space with Tuturu being rolled out uh, across the country, which hopefully will 
start to reduce stigma around drugs, um, illicit or illicit uh, generally. Um, more public campaigns need to go out, I think, and the funding is a big problem there. Um, but hopefully, from our scientific perspective, we can get out people's experiences, how they feel, what they see, um, and what they do, and hopefully that reduces stigma uh, more generally. Yeah. Uh, as a PhD student, is drug psychology research something that interested you throughout your time at uni? And other students that are interested, how could they get involved in similar topics? Um, my personal interest, I suppose, has been kind of a long time coming, I guess. I came into university as a neuroscience student, so it was always something there, and drugs uh, you know, traditionally used as a tool within scientific research, but particularly in neuroscientific and psychological research. So I was slowly getting exposed to it more and more over time, and uh, kind of when I saw an opening and had developed some of my own ideas, I took that to Ryan and said, hey, what do you think about getting into this space? And he was really great, and he trusted me um, and trusted my ideas and let me get into that. Um, and now that's, of course, turned into this, and it's getting a, gotten a lot bigger. Um, and so any other students that are, are interested or have their own ideas, you know, I would just encourage them to reach out to researchers, whether that's Ryan or any other researcher in any department with their ideas and see if uh, you know, they can convince them to take them on as well. Uh, psychedelic therapy for mental health is becoming pretty popular with some virgin versions such as ketamine microdosing nasal spray for treatment-resistant depression being in clinical trials at the moment. Do you think that there will be a space for this in the healthcare system in Aotearoa? Um, I think that there will be a space uh, for many types of psychedelic or other drug-assisted therapies. Uh, I think that while we are in the process of kind of going through those trials, whether it be in our own country or overseas, we need to really carefully think about how we can actually integrate that into a system um, or change our system to allow for that to occur. And we also have to be mindful um, of how that treatment will be carried out and how accessible it will be um, you know, to various types of groups for various reasons. And we also need to be mindful of the cost and making sure that it's available to anyone who needs it. Um, particularly groups that have been you know, forgotten about for a very long time. Sweet. Well, thanks, Dry, for diving into the psychedelic research with us this morning. Uh, now we have Charlie Bliss with Black Hole. She's got her toe in the corner Bleeding out in a snow
That was Gulls with Lately. Before that, we had Mild Orange with 
F-E-A-R, or Fear. And before that, we had Charlie Bliss with Black Hole. Just before the break, we had Jai Whelan, a PhD student here at the University of Otago, doing some psychedelic psychology research, and he came and talked to us a little bit about that and the reason why. Now, alcohol harm poses a large issue to the people of Aotearoa. With 800 New Zealanders passing away yearly due to their drinking habits, it is time to change the culture we have surrounding alcohol. The Alcohol Harm Minimisation Bill, presented by Chloe Swarbrick, aims to allow more local control of alcohol sales without interference from supermarkets and liquor retailers, as well as removing alcohol sponsorship for sports teams. There is now a growing list of local authorities in support of this bill, and support is being asked for from cities without local alcohol policies such as Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. Yesterday, I spoke with Chloe Swarbrick about what alcohol about what the alcohol harm minimization bill is and what it may mean for Aotearoa. What are the aims of the alcohol harm minimization bill? Hopefully to do what it says on the tin, which is to reduce alcohol harm. Um, alcohol is recognised as one of the most harmful substances that we know of, both internationally and domestically, and that's amongst both illicit, that being legal, and illicit or illegal drugs. So uh, it does this through two major mechanisms uh, as identified in the bill. The first is around removing special appeals processes for local alcohol policies. Those special appeals are an anomaly inside of any other similar regulatory framework that seeks to put a control around uh, harmful potential behaviour like gambling uh, or around psychoactive substances, for example. And the second thing is implementing a few and only a few, because the Members' Bill can only do so much of the recommendations of the 2014 Ministerial Forum, commissioned by, uh, actually, the former National Government and headed by Sir Graham Lowe, a sporting legend, uh, which made recommendations around severing the tie between uh, alcohol uh, sponsorship and sports. And alcohol is pretty prevalent in Aotearoa's youth culture here, especially down here in Dunedin and Ōtipoti. Um, what can be done to change how our youth perceive alcohol? So I tend to look at uh, kind of political change and social change from two broad spheres, and this is not just <laughs> something which has come from political theory. I actually never studied politics when I was at uni, but very much from, um, I guess, the five years that I've tried to um, push a few buttons um, inside of the parliamentary system. And those are kind of the structural stuff, so our laws and our regulations and our funding and our taxes and our subsidies and our international trade agreements and all that stuff. But the stuff that we don't talk about anywhere near enough, I think, is culture. And by that, I'm not talking about it in synonymous sense with people's ethnicity or geographical background or whatever else. I'm talking about a shared set of values and the kind of priorities or the unspoken rules, uh, you know, the, the literal stuff that brings those um, that structure uh, and those systems to life that means that we either pay attention to them or that we don't. So you have the opportunity through particularly the LAP uh, changes and the removal of that special appeals process uh, to set in place rules that communities actually want themselves about particularly the excess availability of particularly cheap liquor. Uh, and then on the flip side, around those cultural changes and around trying to 
you know, uh, stop saturating people so much with such explicit and overt uh, alcohol advertising, which we know, again, as reflected in the 2014 Ministerial Forum and the 2010 Law Commission Report and the 2018 Hiara Oranga Mental Health and Addiction Inquiry, the 2019 Tsurugi Tsurugi Safe and Effective Justice Review, all of those things contribute to excessive consumption and therefore harmful consumption of alcohol. And how is what's being proposed better than the current local alcohol policies that exist in various places around Aotearoa? Uh, so the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act came into effect in 2012, that's 10 years ago now, and it was supposed to make it easier for uh, local authorities, that is councils around the country, to put in place these local alcohol policies. Um, primarily, uh, that looked like particularly having uh, control over off-licences. However, we've seen that in our major centres of Auckland, Hamilton, Wellington and Christchurch, uh, that there has not been an implementation of an LAP primarily because of those special appeals process, which are on a majority basis, especially appealed by uh, those off-licences and by the supermarkets, interestingly enough. Uh, Where you have seen LAPs implemented by threat of that special appeals process and the potential to spend millions of dollars in ratepayers' money, as has occurred in Christchurch before they gave up and ongoing in Auckland, uh, you've seen that in places where they have implemented them, they have unfortunately watered them down. Again, I think actually it's really valuable to reflect on the same kind of regulation that we had proposed in uh, the proposed uh, legislation for regulating cannabis in the 2020 um, referendum. We recognised that cannabis was a harmful substance and that therefore you should regulate it sensibly and by evidence, which means no advertising and some community control over where these outlets can be placed. It's not about saying that people shouldn't be doing this stuff because regardless of just say no campaigns, it doesn't work. It's about creating the best kind of uh, regulatory environment so that all of us can make healthier decisions. Particularly, you've talked about alcohol advertisements and sponsorships of sports teams. How do you think changing that will impact current drinking culture that we see surrounding sports games? Yeah, so it's quite difficult to quantify specifically, obviously, the impact that this is going to have. But the closest parallel that we do have is to the 1990s when we removed tobacco sponsorship in sports. And we had really similar things from uh, the industry, particularly the advertising industry, that the sky was going to fall in, that we weren't going to find replacement sponsorship and that, you know, all of it was going to turn to custard. Of course, that wasn't the case. And in fact, what we've also seen in other jurisdictions across the world that have moved to phasing out alcohol advertising in sports that, they get higher value and healthier sponsors coming on board as a result. And you've started to see actually some really awesome um, partnerships locally here where you're seeing um, particularly Māori health organisations pushing forward for changes in the way that our professional sports team uh, operate and the kinds of things that they glorify and normalise. So what we do know, again, reflecting on those reports of 2010, 2014, 2018 and 2019, all commissioned by governments of different stripes, uh, is that repeated increased exposure to alcohol advertising normalises and glamorises excessive consumption of alcohol. Uh, And for anybody who can say that that's not the case, such as those who are within the advertising sector likely to say, uh, you only have to ask them why they're spending millions of dollars on doing exactly this if it makes no difference. Alcohol and alcohol harm presents a major health issue in Aotearoa. Do you think that this bill will help decrease alcohol culture and potentially improve health in this respect? 
differently, given that it implements two of the major recommendations, one from uh, the Health Promotion Agency uh, and Alcohol Health Watch and a range of NGOs, uh, and then the second around uh, Alcohol Advertising and Sponsorship Ministerial Forum from 2014. Um, what you find when you look at particularly the latest reports of the last term of government on mental health and addiction uh, and the one on the Safe and Effective Justice Review is that these reports at this point in time over the past decade have become incredibly self-referential. Uh, and Turuki Turuki, the Safe and Effective Justice Review, they went as far as to call out the lack of political action on the things that governments have already been confronted with when it comes to the lowest hanging fruit to increase well-being and reduce harm. And that is the likes of removing those special appeals processes so that communities through local democracy can put in place their own policies on sale and supply of alcohol, which again is just about local democracy as far as I'm concerned, and not being overrun by commercial interests, which obviously are seeking to sell as much of this harmful substance as they possibly can to make a quick buck. Uh, and then on the flip side around obviously making sure that we reduce exposure to this harmful substance and we just curb as much as we can the normalization and glamorization of it. None of this is saying that we're trying to stop people writ large from drinking as those who would try and extrapolate this out to a straw man would say. But it is about saying, again, we can create better structures that are evidence-based to reduce that harm. How can we educate the people of Aotearoa more effectively on the negative effects that result from overconsumption of alcohol? We started to see the Cancer Society come out, I believe today, if not yesterday, um, with their campaign around precisely this. So I see that, you know, we're, we're likely to see some kind of traction um, with public awareness campaigns. But it, it is interesting how seemingly deeply entrenched um, alcohol is in our society. For those who'd say it can't change, I'd ask them to reflect on our experience over the last 30 years with tobacco and with smoking. Um, and I'd also say that, interestingly enough, um, young people in particular, despite often being heralded in the headlines of our mainstream media outlets for being the worst offenders on this stuff around alcohol, that in fact, if you compare the figures of excessive drinking uh, in particular over the past few decades, that we have, again, a trend of decline. However, it is those who are in uh, middle and older age brackets who, who continue to drink to excess. So again, all of this kind of points to the fact that, uh, <laughs> you can unpack a lot on that, uh, but it points to the fact that we can just create better regulatory environments so that people are enabled to make healthier decisions and not nudged by advertising or commercial interests into making those more harmful decisions. That was Gemma interviewing Chloe Swarbrick about the alcohol harm minimisation bill. Earlier on the show today, we also had Jai Whalen, a PhD student at the University of Otago, assisting in research around psychedelic use in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Athena, and thanks for tuning in to R1 News on Radio 191 FM for Ra'apa, Wednesday, 18 May. Now we have Fear Me by Hot Donners. <laughs>
Zealand on air. Without you, we are nothing. Love and placebos. Radio 191 FM. FM, you just heard Complicated featuring Young Franco by Winston Surfshirt. The time is almost 12 o'clock. My name is Safi, and up next we have Modern Fables by Julia Deans and Frank on Tap by Wire Talk. I hope everyone's had a good morning, and remember to stay tuned to Radio 191 FM. Stories are true, they just didn't make much sense. 
That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.